An aspiring, sorry, an aspiring politician gave his best shot at a campaign speech. He felt that it was a stirring and fact-filled speech. And then he looked out across his audience and he asked, if there were, are, are there any questions? And someone in the back row called out, who else is running? That I would call a type of rejection. And we've all experienced that at one time or another, as we were well reminded with the children's message. It may have been kids in school making fun of a birthmark, a parent's unwillingness to express love, or a rejection by a loved one or a hoped-for employer. Today's gospel describes multiple rejections, and as we process with Jesus toward Jerusalem, he teaches us a few things about rejection. Here's the backstory: After Jesus' baptism and 40 days in the wilderness, he has been healing people on the Sabbath, touched a man with leprosy, also illegal, been accused of being in league with the devil, and has found ways with his disciples' help to feed thousands of people with very few resources. Now he's on his way with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and he asks his disciples, who do, you, who do people say that I am? And they answer with what they've heard. John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets. And he asks them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answers him, you are the Messiah. This is called by scholars Peter's Christological Confession. You are the Messiah in Hebrew or in Greek, you are the Christ. This is not rejection, but the highest form of acceptance. Jews have been waiting and praying for God to send the Messiah for centuries. The Messiah was one, the anointed one, anointed by God to save God's people from geopolitical oppression. Or at least that's what people thought. And here's where the rejection starts for us today, or at least the recognition of it. We've jumped forward to chapter 8 of Mark's gospel. But even back in chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 3, religious leaders had begun looking for a way to kill this revolutionary named Jesus. And so as he's with his disciples, he begins to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes. Rejection is one thing, but Jesus continues, and be killed. So we've had our ideas or actions or interests rejected, and and that's something on the scale, but Jesus was planning to be rejected to death. We put people on capital murder, murder trials for such things, but maybe we're not seeing it from the right point of view. After all, they rejected Jesus because he rejected them. He was offering strange teachings in the synagogues and doing religiously unlawful things. What did he expect? To be welcomed and celebrated like the Oscar nominees to the red carpet? 
Things in Israel had been clipping along just fine, even with the tension of Rome occupying their land, and now this man wants to come in and change things? Is that not worth rejecting? So before we judge them, we must ask ourselves whether we do the very same thing. For instance, just in the last couple of weeks, I've talked with two women outside of this congregation, but my guess is the same thing is said within this congregation. When we were growing up and people gathered for worship, it was so quiet you could hear a pin drop. People were preparing themselves for the service. Now it's a free-for-all. People are moving around the sanctuary, talking to the others, even the pastors out there messing with my silence. I added that part. And then the people who are enjoying being out and socializing with the people that they haven't seen for a week or more think that people who want to sit in silence must be antisocial. In other words, like the scribes and chief priests, we may reject people who do religion differently from us. But we don't kill them for it. Jesus would be rejected to death, but he closes his teaching with this. And after three days, rise again. He said all this quite openly. Peter rejects what Jesus is saying. Peter takes him aside and begins to rebuke Jesus like a parent might rebuke a child who's misbehaving in the store. And interestingly, the same word that is used when Peter rebukes Jesus is the same word that's used when Jesus rebukes demons and casts them out earlier in the scripture. And so we're seeing a double rejection going on here. Peter rejects what Jesus says. It can't be that way. That's not the expectation. That can't be the plan. And then Jesus rejects Peter. He turns away from him, it appears, and looks at the other disciples and says, Get behind me, Satan. Actually putting Peter behind him. For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Now, Satan is a... You talk about rejection? How would you like to be called Satan by someone you thought was your closest friend? To set our minds on divine things requires going to the far opposite end of the scale of rejection. Think about a linear scale, rejection being on one end. As we move to the other end, we would get to tolerance, in which we might say, Yes, you can stay, or yes, I accept your being here, but don't expect me to like it. Tolerance. The next mark on the scale might be acceptance. Yes, you can stay, and I accept you, even though I really don't like what you stand for. Don't like your ideas. I would call the far end of the scale from rejection hospitality, in which we fully embrace our differences, we fully embrace each other, and look forward to working side by side with joy and gratitude. How 
hospitable may we be to Jesus' call to his disciples then and his disciples now. He says, he calls them to deny themselves and take up their cross and follow him. He says, for those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. Salvation, save, what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? What makes up our life? Is it just our physical bodies and the fact that we can take a breath? Is it the things that we own? Someone heard our call to collect Beanie Babies to give to the children at Standing Rock Reservation when the mission team goes in July. She and her daughter had collected them for years, and she was telling me, she was showing them to me, saying, well, this one's pretty valuable, and so is this one, and this one's called so-and-so. And she's, her daughter's in her 40s, so she's probably at least in her 60s not 70s, but she brought in a box of 60 Beanie Babies, willing to give them away because she knows that those children don't have much. And so something unique, like a Beanie Baby, is going to make them feel special. I think that's a form of hospitality. She will never meet these children And yet she has sensed a a hospitality by God that makes her want to share and be hospitable with others. Maybe that's a mild version of carrying one's cross. Carrying one's cross beam to one's execution was a final indignity. And we have become used to, in the church, hearing about Jesus taking up his cross. But we're just as happy to leave ours behind. We're like the person in the back row at that campaign who says, who else is running to Jesus? We're happy to decorate our sanctuary with crosses and to wear crosses around our necks or in our ears. And perhaps I wondered whether the creation of crosses as jewelry originated as a symbol of following Jesus' command to take up our crosses. To take up our cross requires planning. It requires work. This morning, as the group was setting up for communion, we had the cross that you now see up here in the baptistry in the front, well, it didn't fit in front of the service, and so um, I carried it upstairs, and I told the ladies that, ironically, the scripture today was about carrying one's cross, and so I, um, I, I carried that one, but, you know, it's, it's not that heavy. Jesus calls us to pick up a heavier one, I think. And he calls us then to reject certain things, But as we reject some things, it makes us hospitable to others. As we reject the calls to materialism, as we reject the calls to hoard, as we reject the calls to keep to ourselves and not 
we offer ourselves to others, we, we lose out, we miss. While we're rejecting other things to, to hold on to those, we think about then what do we have that we're holding on to so tightly that it might be good for us to reject so that we have the strength or the time or the energy to take up the cross that Jesus wants us to carry and move forward. Now I have a few, a reminder for you, and the deacons are going to help me later on. They're going to pass out, not, they're, they're not going to pass out. They're, they're going to give out. Um, please don't pass out, deacons. Uh, these are uh, what have been called by their registered trademark silly bands. Um, they're in the shape of a cross. And um, you'll be able to take one during the final, the closing hymn as they pass them around. And so I encourage you that even though we don't have, we don't have a heavy cross beam to carry, I encourage you to take this and either put it on your wrist or wrap it around a favorite pin. Keep it with you during the season of Lent as a reminder that Jesus calls us to take up his cross, to reject some things so that we can be hospitable to others. Let's say a prayer together. Holy Lord, you are hospitable to us. You accept us just as we are, even if we may disappoint you. You love us, and we thank you for that grace. Guide us now as we turn to the table that our Lord has prepared for us, and as we seek then to take up the cross, to share whatever we are with others in his name. Amen.